We are going to talk a lot about Johnny Cash, especially this first week. Right, Because I want to make sure you know who he is, you know how he grew up, and I think a lot of that information is really important to know when you look at the overall trajectory of his, of his life. And my hope for us is that we would begin to see ourselves in the story of this flawed saint. Because Johnny Cash, if you know very much about him, you know that he was far from a perfect man. That he made a lot of mistakes in his life. And I'm pretty convinced that if he was standing here with me, he would affirm that and say, yes, I did. I made a lot of, I did a lot of things in my life that, that I wish I would have done differently. But something that I've been struck by as I've looked at his story and begun to read books and watch interviews with him over these last couple of weeks is that he never, ever let his mistakes stop him from being who he believed God had created him to be. So I'm excited for us to spend some time learning from his story these next couple of weeks. We're also going to be looking at some scripture every week that I believe connects to Johnny's story in in some way. And this week we're going to look at a portion from Genesis 15. And it's kind of a longer portion of scripture. And it may seem weird, but I promise, promise, promise I will connect the dots, okay? So just just trust me on that. It's Genesis 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to read verses 17 through 18. So let's read it together. This is an important moment where God establishes a covenant with Abram. Abram, whose name would later change to Abraham, but it hasn't yet. His name is still Abram. Let's read it together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven, count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteous. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all of these, cut them in two, laying them each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. A little weird. I gave you a preface. I feel like it lived up to it. But I want us to spend just a moment unpacking what it is that we just read. We just read from Genesis chapter 15. 
In chapter 12 of Genesis, an 80-year-old Abram is called by God. And he is promised in this moment that if he goes where God is calling him to go, that he is going to make a great nation out of him and bless him and his family and his offspring so much so that they can be a blessing to others. And so, of course, one of these specific things that God promises Abram and Sarai in that moment is many children, but specifically a promise for a son. And at first, Abram and Sarai, they wait patiently, but a few years go by. And remember, these folks are in their 80s, and they start to ask God some questions. And you can see Abram asking God some of those questions here in this scripture. This is not the first time that Abram has asked God these questions. God, what are we supposed to do? You said you would give us offspring, but you haven't given us any yet. You do realize that we can't do what you're calling us to do unless we begin to have children. And God responds beautifully, doesn't he? Because you know this scripture. Look up and begin to count the stars. If you can even count them, that will be the number of your descendants. But you can tell a little bit here that Abram is, is getting tired of God talking the talk, and he's ready for God to, to walk the walk. And so he says, it's not that I don't trust you, God, but how am, how, how am I supposed to know that this is actually going to happen? And this is where it gets a little weird. God tells Abram to go get a heifer and a goat and a ram, And Abram does, and he cuts them in half, and he lays them in line with one another. And then Abram falls asleep, and it's while he is asleep that this smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass through all these pieces of these animals. Oftentimes, in the ancient world, covenant oaths were partnered with the action of passing through divided animals. And the idea behind doing this was that it was being inferred that if a party on either side of the promise broke whatever promise they were making, that they would have the same fate as the animals. Which is a little graphic, I know, but that's what's being inferred here in this moment. That's what this action was all about. And the torch and the fire pot are meant to represent God walking the walk between the animals, assuring Abram that this covenant can be trusted, that God will be faithful. And believe it or not, this story, this moment between God and Abram, I think connects pretty well to the story of Johnny Cash. J.R. Cash, who later went by John and later went by Johnny, was born in Kingsland, Arkansas in 1932. His parents were named Ray and Carrie Cash. He had three older siblings, Roy, Margaret, Louise, and Jack, and three younger siblings, Reba, Joanne, and Tommy. There was a lot of kids. In 1935, when Johnny was three years old, his family settled in Dias, Arkansas, which was one of the New Deal colonies, meant to offer poor families the chance to work land until hopefully one day they could, they could own it. Which means for Johnny, starting at the age of five, he worked in the cotton fields with 
his family. And this was the beginning of his love for music, especially gospel music. Because his mother made sure that as his family worked in the fields, they sang songs of hope together as they picked cotton. In this season of life for Johnny, his childhood working in the cotton fields, it left a massive mark on his life. I mean, literally, he carried scars on his fingers from the burrs in the cotton, from picking cotton as a child. But it also forever affected how he viewed those who found themselves on the bottom of of society, which is something that we're going to talk more about next week. But his love for gospel music was, was strong, so much so that when he started his music career, he was convinced that he was only going to sing gospel music. And in large part, that's because of a promise that he made to his older brother, Jack. When Johnny was 12, his older brother, Jack, was involved in a horrific accident involving a table saw. The morning of the accident, Johnny was going fishing and he tried to get his brother to go with him, but his brother didn't go and said he wanted to go make the family some muddy money cutting fence posts at the high school. And, and an accident happened and Jack passed a few days later. And it, it's a moment for Johnny that it's important for us to know about because the trauma of it affected him for his entire life. He came back from fishing, and the way he tells the story is that he knew something was wrong when the preacher's car was parked outside of his house. And of course, right, Johnny went fishing instead of going with his brother to make fence posts. So this is something that he carried a ton of guilt for, for really the rest of his life, something that he was really never able to get over. Jack was remembered by his siblings for having such a strong faith. He was someone who wanted to be a preacher one day when he grew up. And he was remembered by his siblings as someone who read his Bible every day. And because of that, Johnny promised Jack that he would carry on his legacy by singing gospel music. And we'll see that Johnny was able to keep that promise. If we fast forward to 1954, Cash married his first wife, Vivian. The two moved to Memphis where he had a job selling appliances and he was trying to become a radio announcer and he started a band on the side with a bassist and a guitarist and they called themselves the Tennessee Two, which I think is such a great name. And they worked up the courage to go and get an audition at Sun Recording Studios. They had to hassle the lead producer there, whose name was Sam Phillips. But eventually they got an audition, and they only played gospel songs, which Sam did not like. But he liked their sound. And so he said, get out of here and come back with something more up-tempo and play that for me. So they did, and they came back, and they played something up-tempo, and it didn't take long for them to cut their first record with Sun Recording Studios in 1955 under the name Johnny Cash and the Tennessee Two. I love that band name. It is so good, isn't it? It just rolls off the tongue. And his music career pretty much immediately took off. The royalty checks started coming in, and suddenly he was either constantly making new music, living in the studio, or he was on the road touring. I mean, riding that initial wave of, of success and stardom. I mean, he was literally becoming a rock star completely overnight. Newly married, it's really no surprise that this caused a lot of stress on his, on his marriage. Vivian wanted Johnny 
at home. And Johnny wanted to be on the road. Johnny loved the success and the popularity of his music, while Vivian was worried about Johnny's faithfulness. And to reassure her, Johnny wrote the song, I Walk the Line, that we just sang. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine. I walk the line. Johnny, in a sense, in this song, is making a covenant to his wife that he would walk the line for her. You know, to an ancient reader, that moment in Genesis 15, it really wouldn't have made It wouldn't have made any sense. The way the covenant pact was supposed to work, the whole passing through the animals thing, was that both parties, both sides of the covenant, were supposed to walk through together, showing that they both understood their end of the bargain to hold up. And it's like you can see that Abram knows this. The only thing that God tells him to do is to go and get the animals. He doesn't tell him what to do with it, but Abram just, he just knows. He lays them out the way they're supposed to be laid out, making a path in the middle, and then, and then he waits. He doesn't walk through without God. Did you notice that, right? I mean, he, he's waiting for God to show up so that they can make this promise together. And we don't know how, how long he wakes, but it's long enough for the birds to try and get a piece of one of the, of one of the carcasses, right? And it's long enough for him to fall asleep. So it seems like he sat there waiting for quite some, quite some time. And it's while he is asleep that God walks that path, that God walks that line. Making it clear to us as the reader, I think, that this covenant between God and Abram is wholly one-sided. Because we know how the story goes from there. We know that the future for this people that are going to come from Abram and Sarai, that it is rocky. That it is full of mistakes, full of idolatry, full of sin, full of making the wrong decision. But we know that God keeps his end of the bargain. I think this passage, this moment, it may look weird and and out of touch at first, but I think when we look at it closely and give ourselves a moment to understand the context, that we can really glean so much hope from this. That the core of our relationship with God is the promise that no matter how bad we mess up, no matter how far we stray, no matter how much time has passed, that our brokenness is never the end of the story. That instead, God's faithfulness is. It's like in a moment like this, we learn not, not only for the Israelites, but also for us, that even when we break faith with God, God is never going to break faith with us. We're reminded that that the backbone of our relationship with God is not our ability to do good, but God's love for us despite our mistakes. That God is faithful. That God walks the line for us even when we can't hold up our end of the bargain. The truth for Johnny is that he wasn't able to walk the line that he was promising to Vivian. 
In the 60s, his marriage fell apart. And he entered a really challenging season of his life, full of decisions that one day he would, he would regret. But he did manage to keep that promise to Jack. During an interview, just months before his death, Johnny started talking about how when he originally wrote, I Walk the Line, he wrote it to have a dual meaning. The first was the promise to his then wife, Vivian, that he would be faithful to her. But the second was a pledge to God. The quote in the interview is this, Sam Phillips, that producer that didn't want him to sing gospel music, Sam Phillips never knew it, but I Walk the Line was my first gospel hit. The irony, of course, right, is that Johnny wasn't able to walk that line. He wasn't able to walk it with his wife or with God. But the good news for us, the good news for him, the good news for Abram and the Israelites, is that God already did. I mean, really, in this moment for us, the gospel according to Johnny Cash is not about our ability to walk that line. The Israelites couldn't do it. Johnny couldn't do it. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we can't do it. Because like this flawed saint, we too are not perfect. We make mistakes. We do things that we regret. Instead, the gospel according to Johnny Cash is about God walking the line for us. Because what was true for Abram and his people and what was true for Johnny is still true for us. That God will hold up his end of the bargain. That God promises to love us. That God promises to be present with with us. That God promises to, to redeem us. I mean, it is this promise of faithfulness from God that Johnny was clinging to later in his life when he began to reconcile broken relationships and we began to find his way back to God because he trusted and he knew that God would never give up on him. And friends, that is the good news for us this morning. It was true for Abram, it was true for Johnny, and it's true for us. That even when we aren't, or rather, especially when we aren't, God is faithful. That God walks the line. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week and we look forward to seeing you soon.